lives they had been believing and standing on. So amazing stuff. Now that's where we are in Acts chapter 19, verse 20. So let's pick it up there. Verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued, say it with me, to increase and prevail mightily. Now we're going to see what's the impact of that. When Paul's there in Ephesus for over two years, and the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily, and signs and wonders and things were just, just taking over the city. People were coming to Christ like crazy, were growing in Christ through Paul's teaching. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So might make you think, is there going to be pushback? Pushback, yes, but in a different way than we've seen so far. Verse 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So we don't know the detail here, but Paul is receiving uh, offerings from all these Christians and churches. He goes back through that he's been to before, places where he set up um, uh, churches and left behind. He's going to go back through all those places. He's going to receive special offerings because there was a famine going on around Jerusalem and Israel. And they, he brought uh, a gift for the Christians in Jerusalem to help them through that time. So he says, when that's been accomplished, he said, it's on my heart. I've got to see Rome. Now, he might not have realized it was going to be in chains, but he, he knew it was on his heart and the Holy Spirit put on his heart to get to Rome and preach the gospel. Verse 22, having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy, first and second Timothy, we're familiar with him, and Erastus, Paul himself stayed in Asia for a while. So he's making preparations and plans to leave Ephesus, but hasn't quite yet. Verse 23, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That's the way Luke describes the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts, the people of the way. What's the way? the way of following Jesus as Savior and Messiah. Verse 24, For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our, say with me, have our wealth. You see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, I would say hallelujah, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. There's three things that Demetrius is really concerned about here. Number one, and I understand it, his own pocket. His, his trade, his wealth has been built on making these goddess statues of Artemis and selling them to people who come from hundreds and hundreds of miles around to visit the temple. That trade has fallen off precipitously. He's worried that he's not going to be able to put food on his family's table. I get it. Second thing he's worried about, Artemis herself may be counted as nothing. People are coming to that conclusion, aren't they? In waves. That that, uh, that statue in this glorious temple really isn't a God after all. 
That's really disturbing Demetrius. And the third thing he's concerned about, that her magnificence might be deposed. So he says, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now what he's getting at there too is, Ephesus was um, a huge place for pilgrimage. People came from, from hundreds of miles around to visit Artemis in that temple. That temple was one of the seven great wonders of the world. So I'm trying to put a picture up there. I should ask somebody to maybe turn lights down. But that's a, a representation, it's a model of the temple of Artemis. This, this temple representation has about 60, yeah, about 60 columns. The, the actual temple had 127. So I think this needs to be bigger even more impressive, but one of the seven wonders of the world. This is the, uh, the temple of Artemis herself. I wanted to be, uh, give you a feel for what Paul was dealing with, what Artemis, uh, what Demetrius was concerned about, was that people will stop coming and filling this place. And there's some amazing stuff about this temple, just quickly I want to tell you about. Uh, Ephesus had an amazing harbor but they had a really terrible issue with it. It kept filling up with silt. And it finally got away from them. They couldn't deal with it, and the harbor became useless. So Ephesus is <clears throat> the only thing really cooking in Ephesus now is Artemis in the temple. This is the thing that brings people and wealth and prestige to the city. Without Artemis in this temple, Ephesus goes to the dust. That's a big part of what Demetrius is concerned about. Um, it was 400 feet by 200 feet, one of the seven wonders of the world. Pilgrims and tourists by the thousands came from all over that area of the world. So then around the temple, we don't see it here with this representation, of course, but around the temple were tradesmen that set up their booths, food booths, kind of like the state fair, right? Souvenirs, uh, carved versions of Artemis, the silver ones, so if you got more money in your, your tank. Uh, the temple itself was a functioning bank. And this really had made me scratch my head, but you'll figure it out here in a second. Merchants brought their money to deposit there. Kings brought their money to deposit there. Cities made their financial deposits there. Why? Because they believed that Artemis would keep their deposits safe. So you can see how critical this, um, this temple and Artemis, the statue inside a word to Demetrius and a lot of people in the whole region and the city. Okay, moving on to verse 28. When uh, Demetrius, he's, grabbed, he's gathered all the craftsmen to hear this, this plea, this concern in his heart. Verse 20 says, when they heard this, they were enraged. And we're crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, apparently that's kind of like a, a common worship phrase for them. When they would have special worship occasions in and around the temple, that was when their worship chants together was great as Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him in. And even some of the Asiarchs, that's um, leading political figures, who were friends of Paul's, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. 
Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, are, are Jews in favor of idol worship and idols? No. So when they recognized he was a Jew, for about, say it with me, two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Think about it, folks. How long does it take to say that? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I don't know, four or five seconds? How many times can you say that in a minute? I'll do that for two hours. Okay, now we're gonna go some, some pictures. I wanna show you, uh, we do have some knowledge yet. Let me turn this. Uh, this is the temple, the, the theater, I'm sorry, the theater in Ephesus, it still stands today. It's carved out of the mountainside there at the edge of town. And so this pathway here, this road, 35 feet wide, if you follow this all the way down, it would take you right down to the harbor. So it was initially designed, you came in on a ship, you got off, and the road led you straight up to the theater. It was the most visible, wonderful thing in Ephesus, aside from the temple. The temple's about a mile and a half outside of town. So the town itself is focused on the theater. There used to be a wall right here uh, back in the day that I think helped keep the sound in the theater uh, was probably the purpose for it. But now the wall is gone. You can just see uh, the rows of seats here. Go to the next picture. This is uh, obviously from above. Look at how massive and wonderful that theater is. The seating capacity was 24,000 people. And this is cut out of the hillside. There you can see the road that leads down to the harbor. It comes right up to the theater. Next picture. This is up close. Tourists like us who would go there. You can see how pretty simple design. But 24,000 people could fit in there. We don't know how many were there that day. We don't know if the theater itself was full. But it had, it contained, could contain 24,000 people. This is, I want to be able to visualize what Paul and the disciples are experiencing. This theater fills up with people who are enraged, scared to death, and I think there's something else going on here spiritually. Now let's pick it up at verse 35. So for two hours, two hours they're screaming and yelling, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You know what it's like when people are trying to convince themselves they want something desperately to be true? They know in their heart of hearts it's not true. What do we kind of do? We plug our ears and we, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great, great, she really is. She's great. Two hours, people. So it shows uh, the emptiness here and the desperation trying to fill that emptiness with something real. Verse 35, when the town clerk, I know to us that sounds like a, a low position. Um, it might be a little, to translate it differently, might help us out. It's actually the highest political position in the city, okay? So in the town, for us to be like the mayor, when the mayor of Ephesus had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, 
Who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Now that's fascinating, right? You know how this whole temple of Artemis and the, the cult around her began? A meteorite fell from the sky and they, they worshipped it. They thought it was maybe uh, a special gift from Zeus or whichever name they used for the, the highest god. But they believed it was something sent from, from God to them uh, and to become a god and worship it itself. This was not uncommon. There were four or five cities that had meteorites and they built temples around them, named them, gave them attributes and began to worship them. So this, it says right here, the mayor says, well, everybody knows that Artemis in this sacred stone fell from the sky. Everybody knows that. There's no danger of losing Artemis in her strength here. Verse 36, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. So the, the Christians of Paul, they weren't standing out in the streets screaming about Artemis. They were just presenting Jesus to people and letting the, the truth have its way. Verse 38. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. There are proconsuls, judges. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today. Wow, that's a real thing in our country today, right? Where do we get most of our law structure? We got it from Rome. And so um, we still use a lot of that stuff today. And so today, police departments across the nation, most of them are still functioning with this. If it gets to a certain level of violence and destruction and, and people's lives are in jeopardy, then someone in authority can declare this is a riot. And that means everybody can be arrested. So it's a declaration of, of, uh, of response. It says, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today. Who, who are the Ephesians concerned might make that declaration? If Rome did that, that would be a huge black eye in Ephesus and, and heads would roll. Is that since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. See, the mayor doesn't know what Demetrius has been up to. He doesn't know what cause he has been screaming about and bringing people forward. He said when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So I thought as I thought, the mayor says there's no cause for this. I think he knew the cause. But he wanted the crowd to settle down and go home, right? What was the cause that Demetrius had lifted up and got the people enraged for two hours of shouting stupid lies? The emptiness of making silver gods that aren't gods. I, I believe Demetrius came face to face with the reality that his life was based on nothing. His business was based on nothing. So the emptiness of making silver gods that aren't, the fear of economic ruin, the emptiness of realizing that a great God was no God at all, and you can yell about it for hours and hours, but it won't make her real. I want to go to 1 Samuel for a minute. And the kids, your, your coloring page comes from that story. 1 Samuel. Here it's displayed amazingly for us. And I've already mentioned kid talks, so 
just to read it. First Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. It looked like he was on his face, stretched out the ground, worshiping, uh, giving obedience to God before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. When they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon, both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. To read the rest of the story, it wasn't too long. They said, we got to get this ark out of here. It's amazing. They acknowledged the God of Israel is bigger than our God. We're not going to start worshiping the God of Israel. We're just going to get him out of town. Folks, it's the same kind of emptiness that Demetrius and the people in Ephesus were facing that day. So our sharing Jesus with people around us, sometimes they might have this Ephesus reaction. We've seen Ephesus turn to Christ, give their lives to him in salvation. Now we've seen a different kind of reaction. Sometimes we might share Jesus with somebody, and we might see a desperate hanging on to what they have always assumed and believed to be real. We might see a fear of allowing the emptiness to be acknowledged. We need to love on them, be patient, listen to them, understand what's happening in their own hearts and minds. It's in, I'm going to call it an Ephesus reaction. Hang in there. Let them go for two hours if you need to. Wait until, like the mayor, you wait until they start running out of gas. And then uh, bring this word. Here's what we can offer when someone realizes the stuff I've been depending on isn't real and it can't really help me. And I'm empty and I've got nothing. Here's what we have. Philippians chapter 2. Apostle Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Right off the bat, he describes Jesus as being um, a God and a servant of humility. Can you imagine Artemis or any of these other uh, gods made out of silver and stone being described as having humility? Verse 7, But this Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. How much better is this than a meteorite that falls from the heavens and lands in your backyard? Jesus came from the Spirit of God, allowed himself to be conceived in Mary's womb, carried for nine months, and born like a normal human being. He was a normal human being. To humble himself and be a servant to you and I, even to serve us so radically as to go to the cross. 
carrying our sin, letting the wrath that you and I deserve, letting it fall on him instead. How much better is that than Artemis and a meteorite? Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The most brutal, painful, shameful death in the known world. To die on a cross, if you were a Jew and you were crucified by the Romans, they wouldn't even bury your body. Your body would be tossed down into the garbage pit valley outside Jerusalem, and they'd walk away because of the shame. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, how, how has God responded to that? What has God the Father done about Jesus? Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, on Jesus, the name that is above every name. Way greater than Artemis of the Ephesians. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. On that day, people, folks can, can think about screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, that thought will be crushed in the moment. And they will know in the truth be told in their heart of hearts, they, they won't have any option. It will be so known to them. Jesus Christ is Lord. Artemis was nothing. Jesus is all. And he's Lord of all. I love this. I love the Bible. I love the book of Acts and how in real world, Luke is showing us the impact of Jesus. It's for salvation or it's for desperation. Here's the thought that came over this morning when we were from the house. The temple of Artemis was one of the seven great wonders of the world. The best wonder the world has ever known or seen. Jesus, born of Mary. Three years of jaw-dropping ministry. Going to the cross. Rising from the grave. Ascending to the Father. And one day coming back for his precious children. That's the best wonder the world has ever known. Glory to Jesus. Hang on to him. If you've never grabbed a hold of him, today's the day. Let your emptiness be filled. Let your fear be removed and replaced with trust and faith and assurance in a living God who is here today to save you, to love you, to fill you, to guide you, to put your feet on a rock that is never shaken. Today is the day. Don't let the mayor of Ephesus send you home scratching your head wondering what that was all about. Let the Lord Jesus go with you as you go home today, having changed your life now and forever. Say yes to Jesus. He's the best wonder the world has ever seen. 
Glory to his name, all God's people said. Amen.